सहनावतु सहनौ भुनक्तु सह वीर करवाहे तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तु मिदिषावे ओ शाति 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 ओम मे द लॉर्ड प्रोटेक्ट अस बोथ टीचर एंड टॉट टुगेदर मे द लॉर्ड गिव अस the results of our knowledge together may we be nourished by the knowledge that we gain may our study be illuminating may we attain vigor may we not cavil may we not quarrel amongst each other om peace 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 all right so kathopanishad we have been studying the we have been studying the kathopanishad and we are almost at the end of the third section of the first chapter remember the structure of the kathopanishad there are two chapters or two adhyayas and each of these chapters has three sections the sections are called valli so two adhyayas each with three vallis we are on the at the end of the third valli of the first adhyaya that means first chapter third section basically at the end of the first chapter and um in response to the boy nachiketa's third question yama the lord of death has uh, um taught atma vidya self knowledge the realization of who or what we truly are and what we truly are is pure consciousness pure awareness once we get that perspective we go from ignorance our about ourselves to realization of the truth about ourselves our problems are solved thereby how are they solved will my debts be paid off will my um, health problems be uh, cured uh, will uh, everybody be nice to me no 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 uh, that's at the surface of life that will continue as it is but we will begin to see that we have this tremendous extraordinary depth to our our being that we are so vast these things are tiny these things matter not to us we we are the entire universe is one with us uh, we are not the body we are not the mind we are immortal consciousness this is incredible claim but yama the teacher here the teacher vedanta tells us that we can actually come to see it in this very life and that knowledge will free us from samsara that is called moksha and even while living in the midst of samsara in this body amongst people holding a job um, taking care of responsibilities in the world whether we are sick or healthy whether young or old whether successful or unhappy uh, in the circumstances of life we will be able to transcend it immediately uh, we will be able to rise above these problems immediately through this knowledge so that's the uh, claim and the specific method that yamat used was the metaphor of the chariot he compared the way he taught natiketa was think of yourself as a chariot um so the way we see ourselves think of it as a chariot let the body be the chariot the senses are the horses um, the road they run upon are the sense objects the reins with which the horses are held is the mind the driver of the chariot is our intellect and the passenger in the chariot is the re- is you the real you right now we don't know ourselves as, at what we truly are we are we are mixed up it's like the passenger has identified himself or herself with the chariot we think we are the chariot uh, but we are not the chariot 
And not only, so this makes it a clear distinction between body-mind and the self. You're not body-mind, you are the self. You're not the, uh, the gross physical body or the subtle mind, but you are uh, the, the consciousness, the self. Um, also, it gives us spiritual practice. The three levels of spiritual practice. First, at the level of senses. The importance of self sense control, disciplined life, first stage. Uh, then the second stage would be focus of the mind. Mindfulness, attentiveness. So at the level of the mind. And third stage is knowledge at the level of the intellect. See, the horses have to be disciplined in the chariot metaphor. And the reins has, have to be tight, um, effective. And the driver, the charioteer has to be well informed about where you're going. Only then will the passenger reach the destination. What is the des destination? Tadvishno Paramam Padam. That is the language of the Upanishads. The supreme state of Vishnu, which is um, a way of saying the absolute reality or the ultimate reality. And of course, this is not a journey from one place to another. It is a journey from not knowing to knowing, from not realizing to realizing what the truth about ourselves. So we will realize, we will become enlightened if, like the chariot, the horses are trained. That means the senses are disciplined. And the mind is uh, attentive. That means the reins are tight. The mind is attentive. And the charioteer is well informed. That means the intellect is well informed by Vedantic teachings. All three are necessary. You know, notice how they correspond to the three levels of sadhana. Karma yoga for purification of the uh, mind, uh, like an um, ethical lifestyle. Uh, then upasana or meditation for focus of the mind. And then jnana yoga for training the or for informing the intellect, for uh, uh, getting knowledge about our true nature. And then finally, we were introduced to a beautiful technique, a meditation which we looked at in detail in the last class, a Vedantic meditation, using all this knowledge, which we have learned till now. How do you still keep the body still? Withdraw from the senses. He says, merge the senses in the mind. What does it mean? Withdraw from the senses and be a thinking being, not a seeing being, smelling, tasting, touching, uh, moving, walking, talking. No, just in thoughts. Then withdraw from the mind into the, uh, he says, jnanamatmani, that means buddhi, into the, uh, into the knowing self. The, basically, it means still the mind also. Not a thinking being, not a desiring being, not a remembering being, not an angry or sad being, uh, not feeling, not remembering, not um, thinking, just the eye sense, which is where the buddhi is located. It's deep stillness. From there, you merge it. One more little wrinkle was added. You merge it from the individual buddhi to the cosmic buddhi. Just know that this buddhi, the individual I, is actually part of a cosmic mind. So that, you know, it, it's not an individual journey. And then you become aware of yourself as the witness of that buddhi. Uh, I'm aware of the uh, intellect, that witness behind. It's called Shanta Atma. Very beautiful name. The, the self which is peace itself. Uh, the, in the biblical language, the peace that passeth understanding is so precise. Uh, normally, when you hear peace that passeth understanding, you think of it as oh, some very great, extraordinary peace, you know, beyond our understanding. Here, it, it is literal. 
Understanding is the level of the buddhi, of the intellect, of the vijnanamaya kosha. That is understanding. And the Upanishad says, beyond the level of understanding, behind it, higher than it, or deeper than it, is, is you, which is peace itself, serenity itself, shantatva. Then, Shankaracharya in his commentary makes a very deep philosophical statement about non-duality. Let me read it out here. I'm skipping a little bit. This is from Shankaracharya's commentary. Evam purusha atmani sarvam pravilapya. In this manner, the spiritual seeker, having merged, submerged everything in the self, in the real self. How, what, how do you merge something in the real self? Submerge means like, like <laughs> drowning something in water. Is it like that? Uh, no. He says, Swatma, Swatma, Yathatmya Jnanena. By the knowledge of the reality about yourself. Swatma, yourself. Yathatmya, reality. Jnanena, by the knowledge. By the knowledge. By the realization. This body I am not. This breath I am not. It's an object. These thoughts I am not. They are objects. Even this understanding of Vedanta and all that we are doing now, I am not. They are objects. Beyond that, the darkness, the blankness of the seed state or the deep sleep state, the causal state, I am not. That's an object. To that awareness, to that radiance, to all, whom all these objects, in whom these objects float around like so many motes of dust, that radiance I am. That can never be objectified. To it, everything else is an object. I am that radiance. By this understanding, everything is merged back into the absolute. But by this understanding, how is everything merged back into the absolute? By understanding I'm awareness, how is it that this world is merged back into awareness? What is the feeling that we get? I'm aware. Just because the light is illumining this room, the light is illumining the computer, the table, the cloth, uh, the chair. Does it mean that the computer, cloth, chair, table are merged in the light? No, no, no. The light is different and these objects are different. Isn't that so? One should ask this question. What do you mean merged? I can sort of get what you are trying to say that I am awareness and I'm aware of all of these things. All right. But all of these things, how are they merged in the awareness? How do they become non-different? How do they disappear into that mass of radiance until that radiance alone is left? Shankaracharya says next. Marichyudaka Raju Sarpa Gagana Malaniva Marichi Raju Gagana Swarupa Darshaneneva Swastaha Prashantatva Pitakrityo Bhavati. He says, just like mirage and water, just like the rope and the snake, just like you know, sky and the apparent like you know coloration in the sky or the dust in the sky or the dirt in the sky. There's no dirt in the sky, but a child might think the sky has become dirty. So just like that, what happens? When you realize that there is no water in the desert, it's just a mirage. When you realize there's no snake there, it's just a rope. When you realize the sky is absolutely stainless, though it seems colored in different ways at different times, you know, 
when you realize that even when the mirror the water it still looks like water even after you realize it's 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 just a mirage still looks like water from a distance you understand the example which we are talking about the mirage in the desert it still looks like water even when from a distance it still sort of looks like a snake even when the sky does to a child look you know sometimes bright dirty dark whatever it is it's absolutely space it's just space it's not colored or dirty or anything even when it looks like that you will say the snake has been merged back into the reality which is rope the water has been merged back so called water has been merged back into the reality which is the the mirage uh, the so called dirt in the sky has been merged back into the sky which is basically space stainless exactly in the same way when we become aware that in the two me the awareness this entire world of phenomena appears in me the awareness this entire world of phenomena appears and as nothing other than me the radiance this entire world of phenomena appears everything that you see hear smell taste touch everything that you think remember um, desire hate understand all of these phenomena whether it's physical gross phenomena outside or subtle phenomena in our minds they are nothing but you the radiance this is just you are appearing to yourself as an object consciousness is appearing to itself as its own object exactly as the dreaming mind appears to itself as its own dream world i'll repeat that the dreaming mind appears to itself as its own dreaming dream world similarly you are appearing to yourself as the world just by that understanding of your real nature the universe is merged back in you universe is merged back in you the body is merged back in you the mind is merged back in you the intellect is merged back in you merged means just by the understanding of that the realization of that what will it look like after that merging exactly like this this is the way it is waking world will be like this you're coming into contact with the physical universe seems to be like that dream world it will be like coming into contact by like with dreams created by thought and deep sleep will be coming into contact with a blankness it will appear like this and disappear like this and all the time you know it is none none other than brahman which you are this is what shankaracharya says what happens then swasthaha prashantatma kritakrityo bhavati being established in oneself so this word swastha has two meanings in indian language swastha means healthy and in vedanta swastha means centered in the atman swastha centered in your real nature centered in your real nature what happens prashantatma you become extraordinarily peaceful you become peace itself you are peace itself you have no problems at all what can a non existent universe how can it threaten you though it appears it appears the body appears with all its problems the world appears with all its problems but you know at the deepest level the metaphysical level and what is called the ontological level level of existence there is no problem at all you are that reality and and everybody else is kritakrityo bhavati it means literally it means having done what has to be done in life you have achieved the purpose of life which life all our lives it has come to this this culmination you have realized your oneness with the universe your oneness with the absolute reality 
This is the culmination of all these cycles of birth and death, of all our long journey across lifetimes. What extraordinary adventures and misadventures we have gone through. And this is the culmination. And this also is the uh, final life. Um, there's a song, Bengali song, I forget, that the festival of the, the play of life is done. And in the sky, there is a festival of rainbows. When, when do you see rainbows in the sky? When the storm is over, when the rains have stopped. The rains have stopped, there are rainbows in the sky. Festival of rainbows in the sky. What is that? That's the sign of liberation, freedom. That these little games are at an end. And infinite life is before us now. No more this being born and dying. That's not infinite life. That's just going from death to death from struggle to struggle. Now infinity is before us. So that is the grand conclusion. Now we come to the 14th mantra, which is one of the most famous mantras in all of Upanishadic literature. You'll read it and then you will see. This is the mantra which, you know, Swami Vivekananda's famous exhortation, arise, awake and stop not till the goal is reached. It's taken from this mantra. Um, then... For example, uh, another reference is The Razor's Edge. Somerset Mom, the very the famous uh, book which set a lot of people on their spiritual journey, journey of Larry and who uh, goes to India in search of wisdom and he comes across uh, enlightened, an enlightened master. Razor's Edge. The term Razor's Edge is also taken from this mantra. So this is a very well-known mantra, very famous mantra. Let us read it. Tishthata Jagrata Prapya Varani Bodhata Kshurasya Dhara Nishita Duratyaya Durgam Pathastat Kavayo Vadanti. What does it mean? Read out the English translation from Swami Gambhiranandaji. Arise, awake, and learn by approaching the excellent ones. The wise ones describe the path to be as impassable as a razor's edge which, when sharpened, is difficult to tread on. So, here is an exhortation to us. Uttishthata jagrata prapya varan nibodhata Arise, awake, approach the excellent masters, the great masters of the spiritual knowledge, and realize the truth. Shankaracharya tells us, arise from what? He says, arise to, uh, arise to what? Arise to spiritual life. We have wandered far from lifetime to lifetime in many bodies, in so much sufferings that we have undergone. We luckily have no memory of those things. Once I think Sister Nivedita asked Swami Vivekananda, how can I awaken memories of past lives? And Swami Vivekananda scolded her. He, he said, sufficient unto the day, the evil thereof. You can't cope with the, you know, the problems of one life. Why do you want to awaken uh, the memories of past lives? We think, everybody thinks in my past life, I was uh, Alexander the Great or Cleopatra or something like that. We were, what we were would be something just like what we are now. You know? And our lives would be just as uh, good or miserable as they are now. So why? What is the point? in awakening all that. But we have gone through so many lifetimes. Uh, 84, 
So 840,000, they say, 840,000 lifetimes it takes to gain a human birth. It's just a huge number, just to impress us how important a human birth is. The Buddhists say, one Buddhist, um, like a, like a, I would say, like a, like a parable or a fable is, there is a blind tortoise in the endless oceans of the world. And once in a while, it comes up uh, to the surface of the ocean. And there is a golden ring which is floating somewhere on the ocean. So imagine the chances of the tortoise suddenly coming up and putting its head through that golden ring. How, how very unlikely it would be. This is as unlikely as that is getting a human birth. <laughs> uh, that's just meant to scare us a little bit to take this life seriously. Uh, so yes. We should take this life seriously. It's only in this life, in this human life, that we can become enlightened. Having come to this human life, not only that, having come to this knowledge, spirituality, that the possibility of freedom from this endless cycle, the, you know, the, the, the story of Sisyphus, who is condemned to roll a huge rock up the mountainside. And he struggles and toils and rolls it up the mountainside, pushes it up the mountainside, and then finally the task is done. He lets it go, hit, it again rolls down the mountainside, and again he has to repeat it, uh, push it up, and endlessly toil like this. That is not one lifetime. Sisyphus has been at it for lifetimes, and that's us. That's us. We, we struggle to put things right in our life. And maybe we do make a decent job of it. And when we are done, it collapses, falls apart again. And then again, we are at it. And very soon, death comes, sweeps us away from this life. And to start that whole miserable drama all over again. And who knows when we will get, when the tortoise will get to the golden ring again, when we will get a human life again. In this life, we have got it. And the possibility of spiritual realization is there. The knowledge is available to us. Um, let us um, let us be up and doing. Shankaracharya's commentary here is Anadi avidya prasupta uttishtata he jantava. He says, from uh, uh, asleep by, you know, put to sleep by beginningless ignorance or sleeping the beginningless sleep of ignorance. Awaken, O sentient beings. Hey, Jantava. O sentient beings, awaken. Awaken means, uh, or arise. Arise means, uh, not um, awaken, arise. The first word is arise. So arise means, Atma Jnana Abhimuka Bhavata. Be, um, pursue self-knowledge. Pursue the knowledge of who you are. Abhimuka means orient yourself. How do you orient yourself? So there are three steps to that. The first step is uh, a moral life, an ethical life. From an instinctive, uh, animalistic life, you arise to a controlled, disciplined, ethical life. Practice of truth and self-control and selflessness, which is at the foundation of any kind of civilization, let alone spirituality. But that's not enough. From there, we rise to a cultivation of uh, devotion, meditation, maybe a belief in God of religion. So those practices. In our tradition, it would be uh, initiation, 
a mantra is given by the guru. How do you meditate? How do you repeat the mantra? And a regular practice of that mantra. You know, turning the mind inwards. First, controlling the outgoing tendencies of the mind, disciplining the senses, and then turning the mind inwards through mindfulness and meditation. And then finally, the third level would be the Vedantic teaching about the real nature, this infinite awareness which we are. So these three stages. You can see how it corresponds to the chariot. Control of the horses, the tightening of the reins, uh, and then the charioteer, informing the charioteer, uh, enlightening the charioteer, so that we reach the goal. Mm. So that is called he, Atma Jnana Abhimukha Bhavata in Sanskrit. Orienting yourself or pursuing self-realization. So that is arise. That's the meaning of the word arise. Awake. Jagrat Ajnana uh, Jagrata Ajnana Nidraya Ghora Rupaya Sarvanartha Bija Bhutaya Shayam Kuruta Awaken means what? Jagrata. Jagrata means to awaken. Awaken means what? Awaken from the beginningless sleep of ignorance. So arise, be up and doing towards, towards self knowledge. And then what do you do? Awaken. You have to awaken from the beginningless sleep of ignorance. It says, Ghora Rupa, terrible is this darkness into, we have, into which we have plunged ourselves. What's the problem? Why not stay there? Sarva Anartha Bhija Bhutaya. This is the seed of all suffering, of all that is inauspicious, all that is unwholesome and negative, which pursues us from lifetime to lifetime source of all suffering, this ignorance, this deep sleep, this divorce from reality, awaken from that. Arise, awake. This is literally the mean, meaning of being a Buddha. The word Buddha itself means the one who has awakened. I have told this story earlier also. Houston Smith mentions it. When after his enlightenment, the Buddha is walking down uh, before he gives the first teaching a shepherd boy sees him and is so struck by the expression on his face, the extraordinary radiance, goes and asks him, not who are you, but what are you? And Houston Smith remarks that most of us, we've been asked, who are you? But there are very few in history who've been asked, what are you? What are you? Are you a god? And the Buddha says, no. Are you a divine being, a messenger of the gods? No. Are you a human being? No. And the Buddha says, no. Then what are you? I am the awakened. I am the Buddha. Meaning thereby the rest of us are sleeping. So here the Upanishad says, awaken. Arise and awake. Awaken from the sleep of ignorance. Of course, Vedanta is such that it can actually put into a real sleep. Not just the sleep of ignorance. It can be deadly dull sometimes. So, arise, awake. I, I remember the students in the ashram where I was in Deoghar, they would have evening studies. The little boys, you know, they would sometimes drift off to sleep. And they had these lines memorized. They're so mischievous. When the, the study period would come to an end, one of the boys would suddenly uh, yell out, arise, awake, the long night is over. <laughs> that means now they can, they can go, the studies are over. And uh, stop sleeping. Then what is next? 
So you want to put an end to ignorance. What do you need for that? The teaching. You need the, you need the teacher. Prapya varan nibodhata. Go to the masters and study Vedanta. You know, sign up for the Zoom classes or whatever. And then you study Vedanta. Uh, varan means the, the superior teacher, the excellent teacher, the enlightened. It literally doesn't mean enlightened. It just means those who are adorable, those who are worthy of being worshipped. Find them and learn from them. Nibodhata. Enlighten yourself. Um, this also emphasizes that uh, this is a transmission of knowledge. Right? We must learn. This is something to be learned. It won't happen by itself. Ignorance can continue by itself. The sleep of ignorance can continue by itself. But knowledge will not come by itself. We must make an effort to acquire it. Enlightenment will not come by itself. We must make an effort to get it. Shankaracharya comments here, Prakrishtan Acharyan, the, the well-known teachers, the masters, the excellent masters, Tadvidaha, those who know that reality, those who have realized that reality themselves. Tadupadishtam Sarvantaram Atmanam Ahamasmiti Nibodhata Avagachata. So that is Shankaracharya's commentary. What does he say? He says, go to these masters who know that reality themselves. I mean, they have the body of knowledge which has been transmitted down through the lineage, but also they have realized it themselves. That's most effective when the master is also enlightened. Um, and then from them, realize that truth about what? The inner reality of all things. Sarvantara Atmanam. You realize that. How do you realize it? Ahamasmeti. I am the innermost reality of this entire universe. That realization should come. Not that there is an innermost reality or that there is Brahman or that there is some kind of Atman, pure consciousness. I am that. That realization should come. So he has here, he has given an outline of the entire Vedantic path of spirituality. First, awaken or um, uh, arise. Arise to the possibility of spiritual solution to our problems. That itself most people don't do. Vast number of people, they're either pretty happy with it, what's going on, or unhappy, but they don't see any solution. They don't seriously think any solution is possible. They try to make the best of whatever is going on here. Then some do feel that, yes, there is something to spiritual life. It is truly worthwhile. I, more and more, I, be, I begin to see, I begin to feel, you know, that uh, it is a sign of maturity. Until a person, I'm not saying that you have to come to Vedanta. You, if you come to Buddhism, uh, you know, the higher mystical part of all world religions, Christianity, Islam, uh, Hinduism, whichever part, whichever religion, the core of it, the higher religion, not the externals, the rituals or the doctrines, dogmas. Until you come to that, I really don't think a person is mature. Um, so one must become serious about one's spiritual quest. Once one has become serious about one's spiritual quest, then the sadhana must be there. There must be an effort. And the effort is, um, as I said, threefold. One is at the ethical level, discipline. Second one is at the internal spiritual practices, which is basically uh, mantra, upasana, meditation, you know, turning the mind inwards. 
And this is a preparation for Vedantic knowledge. Finally, the third stage would be this Vedantic knowledge itself. All right. Now, he gives a, the Upanishad or Yama gives a warning. He says, it's not easy. The razor's edge, consider the razor's edge. And sharpened, a sharpened razor's edge. How difficult it is to walk on that. Not walk over that, walk along the edge of the razor. Of course, you'll cut your feet. But as difficult as that is this path. Now, why is this path difficult? Again, at every level, it's difficult. Three levels. One is the, the level of ethical discipline. Our minds tend to overstep the boundaries of morals and ethics. We, can, we have this tendency of doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thing, because we are always this, these two problems, terror and temptation. Temptation, the world pulls us and pulls us beyond the limits of what is ethical, what is moral, what is decent, attracts us. The world scares us into doing things which are not ethical. So either driven either by fear or by temptation, we do wrong things. We, think we do things which we ourselves regret. So that tendency has to be curbed. That is discipline. That's the first level. And it's a big struggle. A moral life is a struggle. We all, all of us, we are trying to be better than what we are, than what, what we were. We're trying to be better. The second level is the inner practice of controlling the mind. Again, very difficult. We all know the mind is very fickle. And the third level is Vedanta. And that's difficult because it's subtle. What, what Vedanta is trying to point out about ourselves, it's subtle. And it's really, really subtle. You will see, I have this topic, this talk coming up later in May on the birthday of the Buddha. I want to talk about the Buddhist no-self and the Vedantic self. What Yama is teaching here is the Vedantic self, the Atman. And the Buddhists thoroughly, analytically, thoroughly, rigorously deny that there is any such Atman. So both have to be understood. You first of all, understand the Buddhist position very clearly. Then you begin to understand what uh, Advaita Vedanta wants to say. So that it's very subtle, actually, what Vedanta is pointing out. So for all these reasons, the moral struggle, the struggle to quieten and concentrate the mind, and to realize this extremely subtle nature of what we are. Because of that, he says, it's like the edge of a razor. And this is the thing that uh, Somerset Mom, he took the, the book Razor's Edge. I think they made a movie out of it also. At one time, it was all the rage, especially here in the West, in uh, Europe and in America. A lot of young men and women became backpackers in India. They went off to India to search for spirituality because they read The Razor's Edge. I read it too, in India, of course, as a college kid. Very nice book, very well written. And uh, Somerset Mom, actually, uh, he met uh, Raman Maharshi in India. And he met one of our Swamis, Avedanta Swami. Um, I think Ganesha Anji, he, he was the Swami who was in Chicago at that time. He met this Swami on the ship to India and later on in India also again. So, yes, the razor's edge. Before I go on, the next mantra changes the subject. So let me quickly see what the comments are. Rick says... Last week you mentioned the things listed in Mantra 13 
already merged in the way New York City is contained with New York States contained United States contained North America. You recognize this. But who or what is it that does the recognizing? Does he remain unmerged or separate to some degree in order to observe these mergings? Would this separation be Lesha Vidya? No. Who is it who does the recognizing? Who is it one, the one who is doing all the spiritual practice, Vedanta, meditation, whatever? It is that same pure consciousness with the overlay of the intellect. See, who is it that who sees anything, talks, does anything? Is it that the eyes they see or the tongue which talks? No, it is consciousness plus the mind, plus the senses which um, do all these activities. So who is it that who is observing this merging? It is that same pure consciousness with the help or with the uh, support of the intellect who does this. And does it remain unmerged? Not at all. It's talking about merging with itself. It's its own inner innermost reality. So sitting here in New York, do we remain unmerged with the United States? No, we are already merged with the United States. I just recognize it as a fact. That's all that is mentioned here. Neela Vora says, some of the Tibetan monks, when they die, actual rainbow appears. There is a description of that. And they have something called the rainbow body also, they talk about it. <laughs> the, what I was referring to was a Bengali song. Bhanglo Jibonir Khela Akashe Randhanur Mela. Something like that, I forget. Uh, the play of life is over and there are rainbows in the sky. Michael Bird says, this may be similar to Rick's question, but after the last life of form, is there any subjective awareness of merging into awareness itself or will it be akin to infinite deep sleep? It will not be akin to infinite deep sleep. See, what the moment we hear these things, we think that it will be like, oh, so the, move, the, the movie is over. It's all darkness. No, it isn't darkness. Even if you have the movie example, what happens when the movie is over? We come out into real life. So, <laughs> uh, but if you just look at it from our waking, dreaming, deep sleep perspective, and you follow carefully what Vedanta is trying to say, then after, all right, I realize I am infinite awareness. As long as the body is there, everything continues as it is. But when the body is gone, and if I don't have any more individual lives, then will it be like nothingness? It seems to be like that to me. No, it's not like nothing. It's just the opposite. It's like infinity. Um, but it can be described as nothingness. It can be described as fullness and also nothingness. Swami Saradhanji says, what the Buddhists call emptiness is what we call fullness. Shunya, Purna. We call it Purna. We call it Shunya. And there is a perspective from which both are correct. Gaurav says, Rupert Spira has a video title, Beyond Oneness, which is similar to your video, Non-Dual Meditation Part 1. Tree outside, ultimately label of image and perception projected to our mind. So tree is reduced to perception. Perception ultimately appearance in knowing, awareness. In this way, objects can be merged into awareness. Developing intuitive understanding of this seems simple. This is how I understood your explanation of Shankaracharya statements. Correct. What I did in that non-dual meditation part one is basically a simplified form of what was just taught in the 13th mantra, the, what we did the last week. The structure is always the same. See that what we call a gross external universe is nothing other than the subtle internal universe. 
see that the subtle un internal universe is nothing other than awareness. That's it. Alpana Chatterjee is saying, what kind of realization one begins to get before you get full-blown self-realization? Yes, light, light comes, um, like there are breakthroughs, and then there are confusions, further confusions set up by the mind, uh, by the cogitating mind. So multiple uh, levels of breakthroughs can be there. As the mind becomes purer, one gets joy, one gets steadiness, strength, peace, more understanding. As the mind becomes steady, meditative, even more understanding and clarity comes. And as the Vedantic breakthroughs start coming, one begins to see, first of all, it is true. And that's a great, great relief that it is true. And then one begins to understand different spiritual paths also from that perspective. What, what the devotee is trying to do, what the yogi is trying to do, what the Buddhist is trying to do. And you can see how they are all approaching the same reality. Shiva Priya says, actually nothing is merging, it is the aware. Yes, actually nothing is merging. There's no something separate which merged in, it's just the feeling that you are merging something into something deeper. But no, in reality there is only one, uh, one unchanging reality or one radiance. But that has to be recognized because we are in a state of uh, difference and separation. So the feeling will be of you know, something merging into something vaster. Sangeeta says, yesterday in the Kathamrita class, you mentioned how the very senior Swami of Ramakrishna order who was suffering from stomach cancer was found talking and pleading to the Holy Mother in the most trying pains of the body. Presumably he had lifetime to ponder and assimilate the Vedantic truth. I am not the body. Ultimately resorted to talk, taking support from the divine. What can we understand from this? In whichever way, Sri Ramakrishna will say, we will see in the next uh, class, gospel class, Sri Ramakrishna will give this idea, what we are talking about, he will give this idea. And then he will relate it to the path of the bhakta, of the devotee. Notice, that Swami was praying to the Divine Mother to get rid of the pain of the body. Let the body go. And the Jnani also does the same thing. When confronted with something unpleasant like suffering or pain, he uses the Jnana, this process of merging, of realizing that I am the witness and this appearance is nothing different from me. He uses that technique. He uses jnana to overcome suffering. And this Swami was using bhakti, devotion, surrender to overcome suffering. What is the problem? Just the paradigms are different. Fifteenth mantra. This is a restatement of the ultimate reality. What is that ultimate reality? Atman, Brahman, whatever it is, it's being restated by Yama as a closing of the, this great theme of the, of the first chapter of Kathopanishad. Ashabdam asparsham arupam avyayam tatharasam nityam agandhavachayat anadhyanantam mahatafparam dhruvam nichayatan mrityumukhat pramuchyate Beautiful verse. The whole of Advaita Vedanta has been set out here. What is that ultimate reality? What do you do, have to do about it? And then what happens? What's the result of all of this? this entire exercise. I'm giving Swami Gambhirananda translation. One becomes freed from the jaws of death 
by knowing that which is soundless, touchless, colorless, undiminishing, and also tasteless, eternal, orderless, without beginning and without end, distinct from Mahat and ever constant. All right. So first of all, this reality, Atman, pure consciousness, is not an object of the senses. So he says, Ashabdam. It's not sound. You can't hear it. Asparsham. Um, it can't be touched. I was just seeing there was a great American psychologist who inspired Skinner. You know Skinner's behaviorism? So John Watson was a very great psychologist. He said that um, psychology need not be bothered with the mind. You might be stunned. What do you mean? Psychology is about the mind. No, it's just behavior is enough. That's where Skinner got his behaviorism. So Watson said, we are not bothered with the soul. The soul is not something that can be touched or nobody has ever seen this, touched the soul or seen it in a test tube. All right. So you can't see it in a test tube or you can't touch it. And therefore, it's not something that you want to study. Um, well, in that case, you are leaving this entire part of reality out of the scope of your study. If it's only what you can touch or smell or taste or see in a test tube, then it, your area of study becomes the world of objects. You see, here he's pointing out the Atman is very much there, but it's not an object. Asparsham, can't be touched. Arupam, for, without form, it can't be seen. So let no one say after this, I can't see the self, so it doesn't exist. Well, it can't be seen. It's like saying that I can't see atoms, therefore they don't exist. Well, even if atoms did exist here, you wouldn't see them because by definition, they are not, you, know, you, can, you can't see atoms with the, with, the naked, with the naked eye. You can't. So the Atman, you cannot see it, not because it's tiny, but because it's not an object. Yeah. Arupam. Then Arasam, it cannot be tasted. It, it has no taste. Um, Agandavat, uh, without any smell, without any fragrance. So you can't see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, or touch it. So none of the five senses can objectify it. And that also means the mind cannot think about it, the intellect cannot conceive of it, language cannot express it. So it's that subtle. Then why talk about it at all? But it is that because of which you are able to see, hear, smell, taste, touch. It's that because of which you are able to think and love and hate. Uh, and, uh, and imagine, uh, and uh, you can use language, you can do science, you can do religion, you can do art, all because of that. It is that awareness. So, and then he says, Abhyayam nityam, undecaying and eternal. So that which is not decaying, only that which decays and changes and degenerates, that dies. If it does not decay, change or degenerate, then it is eternal. Anadi anantam, beginningless and endless. Beginningless and endless means it is beyond cause. Beginningless, what, what has a beginning? When a cause produces an effect, that's the beginning of the effect. So um, from clay, a potter makes a pot. The clay is the cause and the pot is the effect. Now, the pot has a beginning, which means it has a cause. Something gave rise to it. 
B, our bodies have beginnings. Our parents gave rise to it. So there's a cause. Even this earth has a beginning. Even this galaxy, this physical universe has a beginning. The Big Bang gave rise to it. So all that changes here has a cause. But he's saying the Atman has no cause. It, it was not produced by something. You, if, you cannot ask, why does it exist? You can ask anything of anything, you can ask why. And the answer would be the cause. Why is the grass wet? Because it rained. Why did it rain? Because there were clouds. Why were there clouds? Because of evaporation. Why was there evaporation? Because of the sunlight and so on. You can give a because answer for every why. But for the Atman, you can't ask why because there's no because for it. Just a couple of days ago, we had this discussion at NYU with a panel discussion. We have a Veritas forum organized by students. It was about consciousness and life with a very interesting title, Do All Dogs Go to Heaven? That was the title of the discussion, panel discussion. So this is a very brilliant scientist, a data scientist, uh, who asked this question when I talked about pure consciousness, self being pure consciousness, the Advaita perspective. He asked, why is there this self? Why at all this consciousness is there? And I gave this answer, that it has no cause. Causation starts with Maya. After the Maya, there is causation. In everything in this universe, you can talk about causation. But about the consciousness itself, there's no cause for it. And he's so sharp, so brilliant, he got it immediately. He says, I see, it would have to be causeless. It would have to be beyond causation. It's not another link in the link in the chain of causation, cause and effect. It is that in which cause and effect take place. See, it's like this. I'm just thinking, a movie. For everything that happens in the movie, you know, why is the hero angry because of all the injustice that was done to him? Why was all the injustice done to him? Because the villain is particularly villainous and so on. But the screen on which the movie is being played, that has no causal link with the story of the movie. Yeah. The screen is not a character in the movie. You can't say what, is, what role is the screen playing? Oh, the hero and the villain and then the, there's a screen. No. The screen is the reality on which this story of cause and effect is being played out. Do you see what I mean? There's a causal link. You can ask why, what, what is going on in the movie, you can ask why. But that story has nothing to do with the screen. But the, it's not that they're two different things. The movie is being played only because the screen is there. Without the screen, the movie cannot be played. And whatever is happening in the movie depends entirely on the existence of the screen. But the screen has no causal link with the movie. Similarly, Atman, that in which it's the mirror of consciousness in which you see the appearance of the universe. There is no causal link with the consciousness, with Satchidananda. That's what you are. Anadi, Anantam, endless. It does not transform into some, something. See, if you ask, why did Brahman become this world? Why did consciousness appear as all this? The answer is it didn't. It didn't. Nothing happened. Consciousness alone is. It's not that consciousness transformed into this world or it did something. No. It just is. It shines. Then what is all this? It's just the shining of consciousness. <laughs> That's how it's... It's something that you can easily claim for your dream, isn't it? It's just the shining of your dreaming mind. Whatever happens in the dream, all the characters in the dream, all the events in the dream, whether it's a good dream or a nightmare, 
all the places, the sky and the earth, everything in the dream is just your dreaming mind shining. Similarly, you consciousness, you are shining as this universe right now. Anadi Anantam. It is not that consciousness produces an effect. I read somewhere, the very first verse of the Quran, the Al-Quran, is that um, Allah is neither born, nor does it give rise to, nor does it give birth. See, it has no cause, it has no effect. That's how we would understand it. Mm. But the particular interpretation I read was immediately the commentator went off on an attack against Christians and Hindus. Says Allah is not born, does not give birth. So therefore, Allah has no son. The Christians are wrong in saying Jesus is the son of God. And the Hindus are multiple times wrong when they say that Allah is born as so many avatars. But that's the deeper philosophical meaning of it is the absolute reality alone is. And that shines forth as this world. It's not transformed, does not give birth to a universe. It's not that it's physically transformed. Anadi Anantam. Mahatav Param Dhruvam. Mahat, we read about this earlier. It is Hiranyagadva, the cosmic mind. We are not talking about God here. We are talking about, not talking about the cosmic mind. We are not talking about God also. We are talking about the reality of God. Or in Meister Eckhart's words, the ground of God. Or the Godhead. The ground of God. Or the absolute reality beyond God. Param, transcendent, supreme. Dhruvam. Dhruvam literally means the unshakable. The absolute reality. The only one that is. What do you do with it? Nichaya. Know that well. Realize it. Discern it. And it's a very beautiful word. It means discerning it. Discerning it means it's already there. It's shining at us through every experience of our lives. And discern it in your, in your already available experience. And then, tan mrityu, this nichayatan, discerning that, mrityu mukhat pramuchyate, you are set free from the jaws of death forever. You realize that you always were free, basically. But this is put in this way. You are set free from the jaws of death. The cycle of birth and death, many lifetimes, the poor blind turtle has been swimming around in the depths of the ocean set free finally from this vast cycle of life and death. If somebody doesn't buy that, that many, many lifetimes, cycles of birth and death, all right, you will see the direct result here. You'll be set free from um, the limitations of this little human life, no, beyond suffering. Uh, your, all your problems are solved at the deepest possible level. You find peace for the first time. You find depth, peace, meaning, and um, a deep serenity, that Shantatma, you attain peace and serenity. And who is teaching this? Look at the poetry of the Kathopanishad. Death is teaching, and death is saying, you'll be set free from the, the jaws of death. That means you'll be set free from me. He is showing Nachiketa and the rest of us how to, be, how to get free from him. Shankaracharya comments here. What does he mean by death? Avidya kama karma lakshanat pramuchyate. will be set free from this cycle of ignorance, desire, action. 
from the ignorance of our complete nature, purna nature, comes this feeling that I am small, I am miserable, I need many things for being fulfilled. And because I feel I need, then I engage in action for getting things for myself, the selfish action. And that sets off the terrible machinery of karma. The, the wheels of this, um, the, the machine of karma start to grind. And then we are caught in it. Karma gives rise to results. And then we do more karma, more results. We are caught in cause and effect in life and death. So this wheel starts rotating. But we are set free from this. Shankaracharya, one of his favorite phrases, avidya kama karma, ignorance, desire, action. Action means selfish action. Desire prompted action. Desire comes from the promptings of ignorance. Ignorance about our real nature. Now he wraps up the chapter. Two verses to wrap up the chapter. Nachiketam upakhyanam mrityu proktam sanatanam uktva shrutva chamedhavi brahma loke mahiyate. Beautiful verse to end the chapter. Gambiranji's translation. Real, relating and hearing this eternal anecdote as received by Nashiketa and as told by death, the intelligent man becomes glorified in the region that is Brahman. Nachiketa Mupakhyanam. The story about the knowledge received by Nachiketa. So, what was received by Nachiketa, this story about that. Um, Sanatanam. Eternal. Eternal means it's very ancient. Um, the story is very ancient. Even the Veda. The Veda is basically quoting the story, is relating the story to us. So the story is older than the Vedas itself. So it's a very ancient tale. This tale of death and the little boy who asked questions to death. So this is related. This teaching was given by Mrityu Proktam, taught by death. Uktva Shrutva. Hearing about this story and narrating the story, passing on the story to others, as we are doing right now. This person, the Medhavi, the, the intelligent one, the intelligent seeker, the enlightened seeker, so not just hearing about it, hearing, reasoning, meditating, shravana, manana, nididhyasana, going through the process of the path of knowledge, one becomes enlightened, glorified in Brahmaloka, in the world of Brahman. World of Brahman, Shankaracharya immediately comments, Brahmayevaloka, Brahman itself is called the world of Brahman. That means you become, you realize your infinite nature and you are freed from samsara. One more verse. Yaimam paramam guiham samsadi prayata shraddha tadanantyaya kalpate tadanantyaya kalpate This is a concluding verse. These verses are sort of stylistic. Uh, they, um, they just tell you this is a very holy text. Study it and repeat it and it brings great merit. I mean, quite apart from becoming enlightened and getting moksha, just by reciting it, it it's a meritorious deed. So he says, should anyone after purification get this highest secret, 
recited before an assembly of brahmanas or at the time of the ceremonies for the dead then that ceremony becomes conducive to eternal result so this paramam guhyam it is the greatest secret it is the, in the sense of being the most profound and this one you can get it chanted you can you can ask someone to read it out and chant it uh, in an assembly of brahma samsadi means an assembly of brahmins or in, in general an assembly of people who are devout who are interested in spiritual life who are believers in the vedic tradition so let them hear it this highest teaching of the vedas or um, and he says prayata that means the person who chants it should do it with respect with purity and take a bath when wear ceremonial clothes and with all respect uh, chant it out this this entire sanskrit text from the vedas another alternative is shraddha kale at the time of the ceremonies for the dead so somebody has passed maybe um, or some close relative or father or mother or somebody and then when you perform the funeral rites there's a ceremonies as part of the ceremonies in fact shankaracharya says when the brahmins who have come for the ceremony to attend the ceremony of the departed one when they sit down for eating it says uh, at that time this if this is chanted out it leads to anantyaya um, kalpate it it leads to endless result eternal result eternal result normally stands for moksha liberation so would it just by reading it or chanting it would you would it give moksha not directly i mean you introduce this knowledge and then people will take it from there they'll become interested they keep hearing it and they study it understand it and practice and then they realize what is being taught so it leads to um, uh, endless result this is a spiritual result but also it means merit it's good merit to it's very good merit to chant this to and to tell this to others but uh, those who are uh, respectful those who believe in this tradition and then this the whole thing is this last phrase is repeated once again to show this is a stylistic way of showing the end of a chapter tadanantaya kalpateti so two times it's repeated endless result accrues indeed indeed endless result accrues uh, it means full stop so this is the first chapter over now let me just see if there is any comment is cause because of maya brinda says cause is part of maya what is maya time space causation time space causation that's the stage on which the universe the, the drama of the universe is played out the theater the broadway show of the universe is played out what theater not broadway theater time space causation theater so yes causation is part of maya kiran says this mantra is similar to mantra 7 of the mandukya yes it's talking about the ultimate reality which is not an object not a cause not an effect and uh, and the absolute truth gorab says merging objects into knowing and awareness is in reality which we are trying to recognize even if we don't recognize it remains true what is ramanujacharya's madhvacharya's understanding on this will they accept this reality as a fact they won't go so far i'm sure they know the truth but they will say and sri ramakrishna reconciles all this in that beautiful section which we are going to read next time in the gospel he says as long as you think you are one entity and this universe is something separate from you as long as you 
the fi your final understanding is subject and object. In that case, the only way to introduce you to that absolute reality is as God. So that's what Ramanujacharya would say or Bandhuacharya would say, that Brahman is God. But in this, you know, it's not that you are one entity and the universe is another. What did he say? Just like the water in the mirage, just like the snake in the rope, just like apparently the, the color or the, the dirt in the sky, uh, it is nothing other than the sky itself, the rope itself or the mirage itself. Similarly, what appears to you as a separate entity is nothing other than you. If you realize that, then you don't have to go the God way. You see that it is your, uh, your own infinite nature. Neeraji says, is there any similarities of these teachings with the Tibetan Book of the Dead? I'm sure there is. The Tibetan Book of the Dead actually has, if I remember correctly, it is also a teaching of the ultimate truth according to Tibetan Buddhism. But also it has very fine-grained analysis of what happens when the physical body dies, especially of advanced practitioners. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Arpanamastu.